0: can audio Let's do this. Hello everybody. Welcome inside the TCA studio here in beautiful Bytown, Canada. My name of course is Matt Robinson. Happy you have decided to uh, to join us once again got a really good episode coming at you today. I'm looking forward to this one with one of our favorite people, one of our great friends of the show, one of the guys who has been here uh, from very early on and and made time for us uh, from TSN radio and the voice of the Ottawa Red Blacks. uh, AJ Jakubek is going to be here in just a second. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to talking to him about, uh, we'll talk a little about the CFL, but honestly, Really interested in uh, in his take on the World Cup and the fact that he is headed to Qatar to watch this thing. And I got a bunch of questions uh, I want to get to uh, with him about that. So uh, that's going to be a lot of fun. We are on social media at Tall Can Audio. Hope you'll give us a follow there. If you want to interact with the show, we love hearing from you guys. So uh, you can do that on Twitter or Instagram, like I said, at Tall Can Audio. And uh, make sure you're subscribed wherever you're hearing us right now. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you are, there's a, a follow button. There's a subscribe button. Uh, go ahead and hit that, and uh, we'll keep the good stuff coming for you. Of course, we like to have a pint when we are doing these uh, episodes. I've referenced on episode 1032 on Monday morning that I had done the, uh, the Brew Donkey tour here in Ottawa, gotten around to a couple different breweries, and uh, one of them, of course, was uh, to visit our friends over at uh, the Vimy Brewing Company. And uh, so I have uh, picked up a couple things while I was there uh including a uh a six pack of their Irish Red, which is very nice. It's an award winner. They've been uh won, you know, multiple medals at uh you know, all over the place, all over the province. They have these different craft beer uh judging contests or whatever and this one has always done uh, very well. It is one of my favorites from the from their brewery. So we're riding with their Irish Red. Yeah. That's uh that's the good stuff, right? So uh, we'll get to AJ in just a second, I want to remind you that, uh, on Sunday, well, for you guys, most likely Monday, they end up getting posted late Sunday night, but of course most of you don't get to them till Monday morning, which is sort of the idea, uh, but Rob will be back in the studio, he was away last weekend in, uh, in Halifax, so it'll be good to have him back in studio, look for that then. With that, let's bring him in, Longtime friend of the show, the voice of the Ottawa Redblacks from TSN Radio, AJ Jackybecks here, how's it going today, AJ?
1: Outstanding Matt. Great to be with you. How are you doing?
0: We're all right over here. Uh, appreciate you making some time like you always do. Uh, I know it's uh, it's coming down to the wire here. You're getting on a plane. We'll get into that. Uh, we'll get into that shortly, but I would be remiss since I got you here if I didn't ask you about the Red Blacks and and the season that they had kind of went off the rails again. Uh they end up having to dispatch uh, or dismiss coach La police Bob Dice finishes things out. You know, it, it would be really easy, I guess, to just look at it and say, once you lose your, your number one quarterback, you're going to be in trouble. And, and there's certainly validity to that. But where did this go off the rails, AJ? What what happened again this year?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of different things. And I think early on, the, uh, the first few games, when they were losing a bunch of games by a touchdown or less, and, and that was the case the first three weeks, right? Where you thought, okay, they deserved probably not the BC game at home, but the home at home against Winnipeg, they deserved at least a win out of that. And and maybe if they get that win to start the season in Winnipeg, things are a little bit different, but they just were chasing the season from day one. And then when Jeremiah Mazzoli went down uh, and, and unfortunately, you know, went through Caleb Evans and Nick Arbuckle and, you know, guys that could help you win a little bit, but, maybe not enough to make up for, you know, the start you had. So I I feel like it went off the rails in a lot of different areas. And in the end, you know, feel for Paul Apelis and his family. I think he's a good football guy and he's Mm -hmm. definitely a good man. Uh, But, you know, I think fresh start for everybody. And now the general manager and Sean Burke gets to uh, basically work with a clean slate. And, you know, he's already hired his management team. He was able to make a few you know, adjustments to the roster, but he he inherited a roster, he inherited a coach and and his staff. And now, you know, I think the buck will truly stop at him. So interesting off season for sure. Uh, This can't continue uh, with, you know, just 10 wins in the last 50 games and eight wins in your last 48 and (laughs) one win in your last 24 home games. But I do believe Sean Burke is the right man to turn things around and we'll see what he's able to do this offseason.
0: You think Bob Dice has a legit shot at getting the, uh, you know, the head coach's job or will they look to go totally clean slate here?
1: Yeah, I I think he does have a chance and I think a lot's going to depend on, you know, not just the interview process, which he's done before, although with a different, you know, management team in place, but you know, what kind of coaching staff can he bring in? Mm-hmm. And I think that's going to be a big part. If, look, look it, I think there's a lot of different coaches that are going to be in the same boat. Bob Dice, Mark Washington, uh, defensive coordinator for Hamilton, Mark Killam, special teams coordinator for Calgary, right? There's going to be right. some really good candidates out there that have been good candidates for a long time. That, you know, I think if you're basically judging, okay, who's going to win in that regard. And you say, okay, well, it's the guy who can bring in the best staff. And if all things are equal, then I think you keep the home guy. And I think Bob Dice has shown that, you know, he's a guy that people will play for. I, I do, do believe he'd be a real good head coach in this league, but beyond, you know, the names that I mentioned and Buck Pierce and some of the others that are going to be brought up here, I, I'm curious to see what's out there after this season. And, you know, when I say that, I am saying I'm curious to see what's gonna happen in terms of the future of Michael Shea. That is the ultimate wild card. If you're asking me today what I believe Michael Shea will do, I believe Michael Shea will be back in Winnipeg because hmm. um, you know, he's won two great cups there in a row. Why would you wanna leave a situation like that? Zach Colaro's just signed a long term extension, three year deal. So he he's already got everything in place that he needs to have a winner but for whatever reason michael shay and you know maybe he's always going to do this you know and he's done this before but this is uh a year where he's not locked up beyond this season and so as long as that continues to be a question yeah. you're going to continue to say well what if right sure. so if Michael Shea becomes available, then as much as and I've stated publicly on the radio that I, I want Bob Dice to get the job, I really do. I think he'd be a really good head coach. Um, I, I I respect the man, and I respect the football in him, and I think he'd do awesome here as head coach of the Red Blacks. But I also appreciate that, A, you have to go through the process, and B, if someone like Michael Shea comes available oh, – yeah that, you know, it, it completely changes things in, in terms of, you know, the dynamics of, of the process where all of a sudden all things aren't equal because you've got a guy that's led a team to back to back great cups and who knows it might even be more than that after this season. Yeah. So um that that's yeah. the big wild card in this process. Uh, you know, I was told by someone a few weeks ago that, you know, they thought Michael Shea wasn't gonna go back to Winnipeg and I didn't take it completely with a grain of salt because it came from someone that, you know, would played a long time in the Canadian football league and obviously everyone's got their different circles, mm-hmm. but um, I, I certainly didn't want to dismiss it as well. So my feeling is that whatever, if there are any concerns in Winnipeg, uh, if, if there are any rifts between him and management and ownership that you would kind of put that aside because that seems like a pretty damn good situation yeah. to me. But um, until I hear that he signed an extension and that he's back there next year, it's something that I'm going to be paying attention to.
0: Well, and, and, and winning tends to keep people happy. So like you said, if they have a, a good couple of weeks here, he he may get locked back up quickly. We are down to the final four, uh, the East and West finals go this weekend. And one seems to have a whole lot more juice behind it than the other. I'm sure Toronto, Montreal will be, you know, a perfectly fine football game, but the East all year wasn't as good as the West. And then, you know, out West, we do have the very exciting BC Lions who have done everything right the last couple of weeks, on top of having Canadian quarterback Nathan Rourke. But all year they've been bringing in good halftime acts. I saw they were. Hooking up buses from different parts of BC before the semifinal, trying to emphasize this isn't the Vancouver Lions; it's the BC Lions. And then, of course, you have Winnipeg, who's won back-to-back titles and the class of the the league again this year. Um, what's your kind of interest level or excitement level? I, I know you're going to miss some of this here on the road, but um, you know, what do you think of the final four we're down to here?
1: Yeah, um, always interested and excited in in the CFL, but you know, all. I'll be honest in in terms of how my viewing habits were uh, this week. And I watched both games, Mm -hmm. uh, but I I was like, okay, you know what? I want to watch Montreal and Hamilton. I need to watch BC and Calgary. And and that's how I feel this weekend. I mean, I'm going to be in Europe. So, (laughs) um, you know, late hours, hopefully I'll be able to catch, you know, a good chunk of the West final. Um, if I was here in front of my television, I'd be watching both, but Toronto, Montreal, it excites me because I'm a CFL fan, but the other, the other one just excites me as a sports fan. Right. And what, I mean, this, these are number one, these are your two best teams in your league. Um, you know, in terms of record, one team uh, finished with the best record in the league, the other team finished with the second best record in the <laughs> league and Toronto and Montreal are fourth and fifth. So they're, they're still good football teams, but you know, I think they're going to be clear David versus Goliath in, in the great cup, especially if it's Winnipeg, if it's BC, it's still a little bit different. Yeah. Um, but, but the intriguing matchup for me about Winnipeg and BC is what both are, are trying to accomplish here. And that's, a little bit of Canadian football league history and that's Winnipeg looking for their third straight Grey cup. We haven't seen a team do that since the, uh, the dynasty that I grew up watching at Edmonton, the uh, Eskimos, of course they've changed their name since, but they were the Edmonton Eskimos and that was uh, the greatest dynasty in the history of this league. And they won five in a row. And I remember, you know, watching the last couple of those seasons quite vividly. So, Um, no team has won three in a row since that group won five. So that would be uh, a tremendous accomplishment for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers to do that. And it always makes for good theatre when you've got someone going for that versus the field, right? And You know, whether it's when we saw it with a team like the Golden State Warriors or the New York Yankees or, you know, going back to, you know, the Edmonton Oilers and the New York Islanders. When when you've got a, a, a team like that, and everybody's trying to knock them off, it makes for good television. It makes for good theatre. So um, Winnipeg doing that is is fantastic. And then you look on the other side of the ledger, and here's Nathan Rourke leading this BC Lions team that has definitely been rejuvenated in that market and you touched on that a little bit i mean over 30,000 at the western semifinal in vancouver was fantastic they're going to host the grey cup game in in 2024 so it truly feels like uh amar dolman and that new ownership group have reinvigorated cfl football in vancouver and i say cfl football because that's a market i think there's about 8 to 10,000 seattle season season ticket holders hmm. in that market so there is competition for yeah wow Football dollar, much like the Southern Ontario region, where there's competition, where people can drive down the road and and go see, you know, one of the best teams in the NFL right now, in the Buffalo Bills. So um, that's fantastic. But what Nathan Rourke is doing here is special. And uh, this has been, you know, I've been a fan of the CFL my entire life, so I've been watching for over 40 years. Uh, but you know, a lot of my interest has been centered around. Um, the home team. When I grew up in Edmonton, it was the Eskimos. Mm. Um, being in Ottawa, it, it was the Renegades and 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 now it's the Red Blocks. And especially as a broadcaster, I care, you know, predominantly about them. Now I care about the league. I always watch every game and, and and certainly it's one of those things that, you know, I'm I'm really passionate about sporting wise. But there's a difference between, okay, you know what? I'm gonna sit down tonight at home and I've not got nothing on the goal. On, on a Friday night and, and I'm going to watch the game because I need to find something to do versus, okay, you know what? I've got plans this weekend. So how could I find a way to work those plans <laughs> in between? I need to watch Nathan Rourke because he's must-see television. Right. And, and that's what this has become. And I, I can't say that anything over the course of my time in – whether watching the league as a fan or covering the league as a broadcaster or whatever has matched this in terms of something outside, I, you know, there's probably a couple of different things like, you know, definitely when Rocket Ismail arrived, that was a big deal in, in Toronto in the early nineties. U S expansion was really interesting. You know, the Flutie era, mm-hmm. you know, that was another era where you kind of was like, okay, you're like, I, I need to find a way to watch this. But, like beyond that, I, I think a lot of it in a lot of different markets is centered around your home team. And Nathan Rourke, I think, breaks those barriers because this is a Canadian quarterback, which we haven't seen a Canadian quarterback, for example, win a playoff game in the league since 1980 and Jerry DeTilio. And quite frankly, we know this is the best Canadian quarterback that we have seen since Russ Jackson. And he's one of the greatest players of all time. Right and 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 the, to, to add on to that we don't know how long we're going to get to see Nathan Rourke in the Canadian Football League because there is NFL interest and while some people might say that this is you know selfishly this this is someone that they want to watch be a star in our league for the next 10 to 15 years and certainly that would be fantastic i want Nathan Rourke to get the, the best possible opportunity for him and his family um, to to reach the highest point in the game. And the reality is the highest point in the game is the National Football League and the salaries are commensurate uh, alongside that. <laughs> so um, when, when Warren Moon left Edmonton to go play for the Houston Oilers, was I disappointed? Yes. But I followed his career in the NFL and it felt like, it, not that the CFL needs validation, but it felt like it was validation that, okay, this is a guy that 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 started up here and not only was a Hall of Fame quarterback up here, he was a Hall of Fame quarterback down there as well. And we've seen different quarterbacks um, have success down there, whether it's um, a, a Doug Flutie or a Jeff Garcia. I mean, Dieter Brock went down there in the 80s, but it's been a long time since yeah. there's been a guy that, Started and starred in the Canadian Football League at that position. Go down to the NFL. Um, you know, we didn't see Mike Riley or Bo Levi Mitchell uh, go down there. So i I'd, I'd like to see, for his sake, and I think for the league's sake, him go down there and Nathan Rourke have tremendous success down there to show that, yeah, guess what? This is a place where if you're at the top of your game, you're going to get the opportunity to make life changing money and. And, and play on Sundays in the National Football League. So um we'll we'll see how it goes. But yeah, I mean I just love watching him play. And you know, he's not a hundred percent right now. And he's still out there, just an absolute gamer. Um what a great performance yesterday. It wasn't perfect, but for a guy that's missed most of the second half of the season, I thought uh really, really good performance. And just love watching that guy sling it. So um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely hoping BC wins next week and I'm definitely hoping BC beats whoever beats Toronto, Montreal. It doesn't matter who, to me who wins that football game. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it plays out over the next couple of weeks, but you do have some good storylines for sure.
0: Well, and you referenced that, uh, by the time that Western final is played, you'll be in Europe. You are headed to the, uh, to the world cup in Qatar and man, I have, I got questions about this. You you dropped this on us when you were in here before the CFL season. At that point, you had just finished traveling around to watch uh, Canada qualify. You'd been to a few different places, and you mentioned, yeah, I'll probably go to Qatar and watch this thing. And I I was blown away a little bit, and I I gotta admit, like, I, I don't know even know what a trip like that looks like. I can't imagine you just jump on bestwestern.com and, and book yourself a room and then hit up Ticketmaster. Like, this is a whole thing. And and before we get into some of the details and what your trip looks like, I'm curious just um, on Friday morning, ESPN's, uh, daily podcast wrote, uh, or had a story, um, that we've seen covered quite a bit, just in terms of the human rights record of Qatar and building this world cup and these sorts of things. I am curious as someone who, who travels quite a bit and, uh, you've been to all different parts of the world and stuff. Does that sort of thing, when you're trying to decide whether or not you want to go cross your mind, a, in terms of just you know, your own comfort. And I don't know if you want to use the word safety. I don't want to be dramatic, but also be just in terms of, is this a, re- you know, a regime I want to support or a thing I want to support? Like what kind of thought goes into, you know, before I decide if I want to go here? Uh, is this a place I really want to visit?
1: Yeah, it's a great question and a fair question and, and something that, you know, I felt both with Russia and with Qatar in 2011, when this decision was made simultaneously to to award the World Cup to to both of those countries, um, you know, was really disappointing to me, and and certainly, you know, Russia eleven years ago versus Russia now, it's a different scenario. Yeah. But you can kind of sense what was coming on that front, and, and so yeah, I, I it was a decision that I didn't agree with at the time, and I still feel in hindsight that it was not the right decision, but we know they didn't make the right decision. We know they made the decision that was going to help line their pockets. And we've certainly uh, seen the fallout of that. And, you know, it's, it's really frustrating to see. Um, I'm, I'm trying to go into this world cup with an open mind about the country and the people and everything like that. I've watched, um, you know, I've watched documentaries about migrant workers in, in Qatar and, um, you know, it's it's stuff that, you know, makes you sick to your stomach in mm-hmm. terms of how some of these people were treated. And and I, I'll say this, I think <clears throat> some good has come out of that, you know, and, and I'm hoping it will continue to go in that direction. Like, to me, I'm going to feel a lot better about the legacy of this World Cup if Qatar continues to make changes going forward that benefit people that go into that country as migrant workers or uh, people that live in that country. I mean, there's, I think it's 12% of the country are Qataris. And then the rest is made up of, of expats, whether it's white collar, blue collar, whatever. So, I mean, there's not a large population of actual Qatari citizens that live there. And, you know, some of the, some of the, I guess, uh, conditions that a lot of, the workers were put under were completely unacceptable. And so it is one of those things where, um, for example, I know they've instituted a minimum wage. So that's, that's a step in the right direction. I know they've abolished the uh, kafala system, which was a system, which basically slavery, basically. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, basically, yeah, exactly. And, and so that's another step in the right direction. Now I know there's going to be some reporting. I saw uh, I think it was Grant Wall speaking the other day about it. Um, you know, one of the biggest soccer commentators in the United States and a journalist, and he'll be in Qatar. And he says, a lot of what you see on the ground is not what you hear. And so, yeah, I mean, that needs to be exposed. I, I think the biggest thing is, you know, hopefully some of that work that continues to be done by journalists is is done and, and they're they're able to go and... And find out the truth about what's going on. So, hopefully, it leaves a legacy of Qatar is going to be a better place for migrant workers after the fact than before the fact. I think it's heading in the right direction. I don't think enough has has happened, but uh, as far as I'm concerned, like I'm, look, I, I said years ago that, like, as a longtime Canadian soccer fan. Uh, that I wanted to be there when Canada finally qualified for a World Cup, and I was hoping it would be before 2026 when we're co-hosting with the United States and Mexico. I wanted to be, um, you know, through their through through qualif- t- qualification on merit, right? And um, you know, I was at nine of the 14 qualifying games in the last round, six of the seven in Canada. I missed the El Salvador game because I was broadcasting a Let It Go game. The same day but you know went to the games in toronto went to the canada u.s game in hamilton went to the two games at at the Ice Tecca at commonwealth (laughs) stadium against mexico and costa rica went to mexico city and the azteca went to costa rica you know the game where they first had a chance to, to to qualify and went to el salvador as well and you know the one thing i'll say about those experiences and other experiences in traveling and i've been to 32 countries now and three different continents. And, and by the end of this trip, it'll be 35 countries in four different continents as I'll add Asia to that list. Um, I, I feel like no matter what people tell you your experience on the ground, once you get on the ground, you can watch videos, you can read, you can, you know, just basically do as much research as possible, but until you actually get on the ground, it's really hard to get a feel for the situation. So, um, Look, that that doesn't relate to the the stories about the migrant workers because no no matter what you see on the ground, that happened, right? And that that happened, it was unacceptable. It needs to be changed. Fortunately, steps are taken, have been taken in the right direction, and hopefully more are going to be taken. But I, I've kind of taken the approach that I'm going to be open minded for three weeks, and hopefully, you know, be pleasantly surprised about certain things about the country. And, you know, some of the things that people are talking about in, in, in terms of alcohol, in terms of, you know, holding hands, and in terms of, look, I get certain things within the culture are just not acceptable, right? I, I wouldn't be able to bring my girlfriend over and stay in the same room with my girlfriend or hold hands with my girlfriend because we are not married. Do I want to live in that type of society? I, I don't, right? but that's their culture. I'm the guest. I'm going there as the guest and and I'm going there open minded. So that that's the way I look at it. For me, I mean, all I know is this. When I was having my health troubles and being in the hospital for two and a half months in 2019 and 2020, all I could think of is when I was getting out of the hospital. I just wanted to get to a World Cup and to see Canada get to a World Cup. That was number one on the bucket list. Now I'm able to to knock that off. I'm super excited about that. I'm super, super excited about as of right now, I'm going to 29 games. I've got tickets to 29 of the 64 games. It'll be 30. If Canada reaches the, the round of 16 as well. And, and maybe pick up a couple more along the way, although there's not a lot of room in my schedule to do so, but yeah, I'm just, I'm super excited about the sporting aspect of it. And I'm hoping that again, beyond what hopes to be a better legacy going forward for uh, for migrant workers in that country? I, I'm I'm hoping that you know whether it's the IOC, whether it's FIFA, uh, I, I'm hoping some of these organizations take a longer, harder look at where they're having some of these events because you know all you have to do is look at the last decade plus, and you know I've I've heard Charles Barkley talk about this when he was asked about, you know, the possibility of joining the Live Tour, and he talked about selective moral out, outrage. And I think, you know, he's certainly better uh, better positioned to speak about something like that than me as someone that, you know, is an African-American in the American South, right? Grew right. up there. So um, I, I thought it was fascinating to listen to that. And and certainly certainly, for me, worth kind of taking note of going forward. But I I do think that, you know, this kind of run we're on of, you know, China, Russia, uh, Qatar, going to places where, you know, democracy, not that democracy is the be all and end all, but I think we're seeing around the world with what's going on in the Russian-Ukrainian war, with what's going on in Iran, um, you know, and in other places in the world that, even though democracy isn't perfect it kind of trumps the alternative and maybe we shouldn't be handing so many of these uh special international events like the olympic games like the world track and field championships like the world cup to countries that don't have at least a basic set of standards that they uh they follow
0: well much easier to get those events done though in those countries that don't have to slide it by the voters first right so uh, you know there's a bit of a yin and yang there in terms of how you spend your money but I think it's a great point you make about Qatar that you know the, the reports and depending on who you believe and who you read it's it's hundreds or it's thousands of, of people have died you know, putting this competition together and because of the heat and the conditions that they're living in and stuff. But that has tightened down. When you give a competition like this or an event like this to Qatar, suddenly the world's watching when they weren't before. And so, no, I don't think Qatar is where they need to be yet, but they are clearly in a better place than they were when they were awarded this. And it's because suddenly everyone's paying attention. Everyone wants to know what this is going to look like. And and it's not uncommon to see right up until the last minute at almost any Olympic games or whatever, uh, by the time we all get there, by the time the TV cameras get turned on, by the time the spectators arrive, it's cleaned up, it's polished, it's nice, and we're all just ready for a competition. And all that stuff kind of gets put in the background. And I believe Fox uh, has the broadcast rights in the US, and they've said, yeah, we're not going to be talking about that. We're here for the soccer and and whatever. So I, I do assume by the time you arrive, by the time the competition starts, everyone will be ready for a great World Cup. But you know, maybe this has set Qatar on the right path moving forward because they've been under this scrutiny now ever since they were awarded the the tournament.
1: Yeah. And it's so hard to know what to believe. I mean, I read a story the other day about the Guardian and, you know, their number of 6,500 migrant workers that have died there, but it wasn't like died because of so-and-so right? right it's just 6,500 that have died yeah. so and and the complaint in the story that i read was they need to give you the number and and i don't know what the number is but they need to well, the give Atari you the number government of ex- says
0: it's three that yeah, seems a little need, low to me
1: <laughs> well and 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 it's obviously somewhere in the middle right yes, of course yeah but but the the guardian story needed to do a story about excess deaths not just deaths right, right? i yes. mean if if someone dies getting you know run over by a car on his way to to go get groceries it's not related to That's migrant a, workers no. it's just another death right yeah. and so um yeah it there's a lot of different ways to look at things sure, yeah. and and you know when i when i read that story i was really disappointed because you, you, you expect a higher standard in terms of what the number is and, and i think a lot of people try to sensationalize some things Mm -hmm. and and this is something that doesn't need to be sensationalized this is something that you know the the documentary on amazon prime and and it's older now right they have made changes since then but that that to me was was so well done because they went and talked to people in these uh living quarters that were Living in brutal conditions and and talking about how they couldn't leave the country because they couldn't get their passport back and and so now that that system has been abolished, yeah. I think again it's a step in the right direction. Doesn't mean they're perfect. Doesn't mean that they need to keep um, you know that like okay they've made a couple of changes. That's it. No, they I, I think they're on watch and they're going to be on watch after this World Cup to say you need to continue these changes because. You know that this is not acceptable, and again, I I do think they've made some strides in that regard, um, and and hopefully that's the legacy of this World Cup. I-, I will say as well that I don't just think that it should all of a sudden be like. I do think there's a little bit of Western arrogance in the sense oh, yeah. that a-, a lot of people in the West think that it should just go from the United States to to Germany to. Canada to Japan to England and then okay that's the way it goes well I think it's good to take the World Cup to Brazil and South Africa and and other places uh, around the world Um, but again I I feel like in 2011 they went a step too far and it's been proven with Russia and and with Qatar and hopefully we start to kind of trend a little bit away from that type of uh, awarding. But Mm -hmm. in the end, it's not going to be up to people like you and me. It's going to be up to the people that uh, belong to FIFA. And if it continues to be corrupt, as certainly (laughs) we've seen uh, with all the different stories about FIFA over the course of the last decade plus and the taking down of some of the top members from Sepp Blatter on down, if they continue to to go about things the same way without change, then, you know, I expect there's going to be more disappointments down the road. I mean, Saudi Arabia is a a place with a lot less freedoms than, than Qatar. I can tell you that. And they're, they're bidding for 2030. So that, that's going to be a big one to watch uh, over the course of the next few years. And, you know, they've got Greece and Egypt as, as their, um, you know, co-bidders. So you've got three different regions being represented here yeah, wow. with UEFA and Europe, with the African and, and Asian continents all represented. And if all of a sudden they get a big enough voting block from those three continents to say, yeah, that, that's what we want, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia could be the main host of the 2030 World Cup, which I think would be another backward step in, in terms of trying to put this, it doesn't have to be, I mean, I I don't love the word progressive, right? Because progressive kind of is one of those trigger words that (laughs) people seem to get upset about. But, you know, at the very least, a certain set of standards, right? I do think that countries should have a certain set of standards that they follow. And I'm not sure Saudi Arabia um, would be on my list when it comes to that.
0: Well, and it's such a good point you make about Western arrogance, right? Because in four years, it's coming to North America. And you're out of your mind if you don't think that in the lead up, you're going to start seeing stories from foreign, about America's relationship with race, about Canada's relationship with its indigenous people. And those stories will be founded in fact, there will be some reality there, but there will be a bit of a blow up, right? There will be some sensationalizing of it, that every country you know, certainly to different degrees, but we all have our our skeletons in the closet, and they get pulled out when you start to host a a worldwide event like this. And um, all you can do is hope that it the attention pushes things in in the right direction, and and hopefully that's what we're going to see here. But I, I'm incredibly curious. You know, when you hear Canada has qualified, this thing is going ahead; they're going to make it. Where do you start to put this trip together? Is this a travel agent thing? Is this you and a couple buddies sit down and try and figure out how to put this together? I, I have no idea what goes into going to Qatar for the World Cup.
1: Yeah, well, as soon as they qualified, and in fact, before they qualified, I mean, this is something that I knew was gonna gonna be a given, and you kind of talk to to people that uh, you thought might want to go. So I've, I'm going with three different buddies, all from Ottawa, and and all had gone to you know, various qualifying games, uh, either in Canada, like one of my buddies came with me to Edmonton, for example, we were all in Hamilton. We were all in Toronto. Um, one of my buddies was with me in Costa Rica. So, I mean, these are people that have been pretty diehard of following Canada that you knew were interested. And in. in the end, that's where we started. Um, this, this world cup's a little bit strange because, um, you know, again, for a lot of different reasons, it's taking place in Qatar, which is a country that basically, you know, is one metropolitan area that's, yeah. that's Doha. So you got it's, eight the whole stadiums.
0: about the size of Connecticut for people who aren't aware. Like it's not a big yeah. place. It's...
1: Yeah. And, and it's eight stadiums all in greater Doha. Yeah. So you're, you're fitting about a million visitors. That's what they're going to get wow. into this country and, you know, accommodations for a while, they've opened up a little bit more were a major issue. And one of the things that they did was basically say that unless you had a ticket and, and a validation code to go with that ticket, you couldn't book a room. So we couldn't book a room and then worry about tickets. We had to get tickets first and then worry about the rest of it. And so I'm going as a fan. I also have accreditation, but you know, at the time, accreditation wasn't going to get me the opportunity to book a room for example now one of our buddies ended up doing that so it, it ended up working out but yeah it's it's a bit of a production trying to get there but now a little bit easier to kind of sort out once you get all that done so yeah it, it's I I love, I love to travel and I love to book and plan trips. So this is kind of right up my alley, especially after the pandemic or during the pandemic where, you know, uh, I'm just dying to plan something. (laughs) And, you know, I've been able to plan kind of basically since you were able to start traveling, I started kind of following Canada across the country. And again, in, in Central America as well, in Mexico and Costa Rica and, in, in El Salvador. So I went to nine of their 14 games and it was amazing just kind of planning that. And then the next step was planning this trip. And and basically I've been doing that ever since. And yeah, it's a week in Europe for us beforehand doing uh, a couple of nights in France, going to see Vimy Ridge, going to see a uh, uh, game at Lille where Jonathan David from Ottawa plays a uh, game at Lens where, uh, which is their biggest rival and 45 minutes down the road. And we're going to see a game in Belgium at Anderlecht, which is an hour from Lille and we're driving there. It's three o'clock start for the Lille game. Hopefully ends right at five and the Anderlecht game in Brussels starts at six 30. Oh, so shit. we've rented a car and we're going to do three games in two days. See Vimy Ridge, eat some waffles, have some um, French and Belgian food. And then, off to Bulgaria for three nights, uh, which is a good stopover before going to Athens for two nights, which is where our flight leaves uh, to go to Doha. And then it's uh, 22 nights in Doha. So yeah, 30 nights total that I'll be gone and then flying back in the middle of December um, going to, like I said, minimum 29 games, uh, which would be 23 games in, in the group stage over the course of 12 days. So there's one day where there's three games. Um, Most of the games there's two and there's a couple of days where there's just one game that we have and then have four straight days of round of 16 games, hoping for at least a fifth, um, which would be a double header uh, for us that day. Quick turnaround. If Canada makes the round of 16 and then I'm going to two quarter final games as well. So, it's a pretty special trip for me as someone that, you know, this is number one on my bucket list. So I've been fortunate, um, either through my own passion or through work that, you know, I've been to Stanley cup finals. I've been to Olympic gold medal games in hockey. Uh, I've been to, uh, numerous world junior gold medal games. I've been at probably three quarters of the NHL arenas, um, super bowl, BCS championship game of the Rose bowl, uh, Grey Cups, college football, NFL games. Uh, I think six NCAA tournaments, two Final Fours, NBA games, three quarters of the MLB stadiums. Huh. I think I've been to forty-one games in Europe, soccer-wise, Champions League, different leagues, whatever. Uh, but this this is this is the biggest event in the world, and for me, the way I look at it. So let's look at you know maybe the the game that I have that is probably the the least high profile, right? So it's not, doesn't involve, you know, I'm going to see every team. I'm seeing 29 teams. So the Canada games are massive. Poland games for me are massive. Someone with Polish, Ukrainian heritage. Um, But, you know, seeing Brazil, Germany, Spain, England, the Netherlands, all these different, all these different, you know, high profile teams, Portugal. I'm not seeing Argentina, Mexico and Qatar right now. I'm hoping that changes, but as of right now, those are really difficult tickets to get, obviously with the host nation in Qatar. And then Argentina and Mexico have the two biggest fan bases uh, in the world that travel. Uh, add on to that, everyone wants to see Lionel Messi in his last World Cup and those Argentina tickets in particular. Uh, you're not buying anything on the secondary market for under a grand. So, And I'm not paying that. <laughs> I've spent enough on this trip already. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I but I'm excited because you think of like you think of, okay, I'm going to that many games. Maybe some of the games aren't going to be all that unbelievable. Maybe, you know, whatever. Um, and there's no guarantee. You could go see two teams that you think it's going to be, could be Argentina against Brazil and it might end up nil, nil and it might not end up being the best game. Sure. Or you could end up seeing Tunisia and Australia and maybe it's four three and it's the most unexpected game that you get from two teams that are, aren't expected to do really well. But I just thought of it this way, like every game that I'm going to is gonna be one of the biggest games in in that country's history, right? Yep. I mean, that that's the reality. If Japan plays Costa Rica, which they are, and we're going to that game, it's one of the double header days that we're going to when we're seeing Canada play on the same day. When Japan plays Costa Rica, well, you know, maybe most of the world is kind of shrugging their shoulders and saying, well, this isn't as good as Germany, Spain today, which yeah, you're right. It isn't, but I can tell you for the people in that stadium that day, the Japanese that are there, the Costa Ricans that are, that are there, it's going to mean everything. Sure. And, and to think of it in that vein is pretty cool. And I I think it's, it's very hard to get something similar like that on mass. And the other thing for me is just, Again, the amount of games that I'm going to, and the reason I'm going to this many games is because I can. Because um, you think of four years down the road, and when the tournament's in Canada, the U.S., and Mexico, it's going to be in 16 different cities, in three countries, in four different time zones. Huge uh, continent, yeah. Two in Canada, right? Yeah. So, like, let's say you plan on going to games in Toronto. Well, there's games in Toronto – and we're also their games are pretty close. Well, New York's relatively close, and uh, Boston's relatively close, and Philly's relatively close, and that's it. Well, okay, that's four stadiums. That's a quarter of the venues. Yeah. Um, like at, at most, you're going to get to like the most diehard fan at the next World Cup is getting to one game a day, and that and that's if they fly across the country and, you know, maybe there's <laughs> going to be a game in Vancouver one day and a game in Seattle the next, but there's not going to be games in Vancouver and Seattle every day right. where you're just able to go back and forth or Dallas and Houston or, or, or whatever, or New York and Philly. So you're just not going to be able to go to the same amount of games. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for just the pure soccer fan to go and experience that many games live. And for me, it's, uh, yeah, I, am super excited on so many different levels, the the Canada factor and, um, yeah, it's just going to be a dream come true for me.
0: Well, so help me contextualize this a little bit still in terms of how tightly packed these eight stadiums are. Let's, let's use Toronto as the example. Might you have to go as far as Kingston or Hamilton, or are we talking Oakville, Scarborough kind of tightly packed in around this downtown area?
1: Yeah, we're we're talking probably, I shouldn't say Oshawa to Hamilton, because you never know how long that trip can go. (laughs) But um, it's basically, I don't think there's two stadiums that are more than a half hour apart in in decent traffic. Now, that's one of the other things. Like, the whole country is basically shutting down for this event um, because, you know, they want to ensure that, it's not a nightmare for traffic. They don't have terrible traffic um, generally, so it's not like a place like Mexico City or, or Toronto or Kiev or some of these other places that have just brutal traffic. Um, but basically, you're going to have to have a special permit to be able to drive in the city during the day. So um, if, if you're they're, they're encouraging people to work from home, Their school has been closed for this month, so there will be no classes. So they (laughs) they don't want people out about clogging up the roads, is basically what the story is. And, And so... Yeah, how does that affect things? I mean, that's one of those things. And again, you hear about different things. Like I heard from people that were over there that said, oh, this is going to be a nightmare, right? You hear about that every yeah. every Olympics, every World Cup that, oh, this thing's not ready and they're not ready for this. And until you actually get on the ground, I have no idea how it's going to work, how bad traffic's going to be, all that stuff. So yeah, I'll give you an example. Like every day and it's eight hour time difference. So in Ottawa, the games will be at, uh, 11 sorry at, at five in the morning at eight in the morning and 11 in the morning and then at two in the afternoon for the first eight days of the competition and so yeah i mean those games are at 1 4 7 and 10 p.m and the way it's set up is you know like you you can get tickets like they're not going to stop you from getting in but on your own personal account you can't book tickets for example for the one o'clock game and the four o'clock game
0: because they know you, you won't can make book it
1: you, you can book tickets for the one and the seven, the one and the ten the right. four and the ten, yeah, but you can't book it book for back to back games um so we we have a couple of back to back games, so we'll see how that goes <laughs> um just one of those things wanted to you know there are a couple of teams like I wanted to see Gata, and the only way to see them was I had a game at one and a game at ten, and they played at four and I'm like, you know what I'm gonna find I, I got one of the cheaper tickets, one of the ninety to a hundred dollar tickets and I'm, I'm going to go to this game. And you know what? If I show up at halftime, so be it. At least I didn't spend 300 bucks for this ticket. I spent 90 bucks for this ticket. So there's a couple of those, but we'll see. I mean, with the way that they've got it worked out is they've got the stadiums kind of for the first and the third game are closer than the stadiums the first and the second. So you might be, if you were trying to do four games in one day, um, you would be crisscrossing the city from left to right to left to right kind of thing. And and there's no way you'd get to all four of those games and see them all. Especially, you know, like security always takes time to get through. And, um, you know, there's going to be a lot of hoops that you have to get through to get into the stadium. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But, um, again, hoping to get to as many games as possible. Hoping to add to my total that the actual World Cup record is 31. That'll be smashed. Um, a guy in South Africa actually went to 38 different games, Holy cow. but he saw start to finish 31. So that's the World Cup record. And for you to set the record, you have to actually attend games start to finish for that game to count. Uh, there's a guy from Saskatoon by the name of Lee Cormish that uh, we're actually talking to on the radio this week on TSN 1200. And, and Lee's got tickets to 41 games. Oh, wow. So he's trying to set the record and he's been to four world cups before he's been, um, he went to the Arab cup actually in Dubai to see if he could do four games in a day. And he said, no, no chance. Like (laughs) he ended up, he ended up getting to the first, like the, he obviously did the first one left the first one rushed to the second one, just got there like right, right when the anthems were playing and then was there late for the third and fourth games. So, um, yeah. And you can imagine more people, more traffic. It's, you know, it's not going to be something that, uh, <laughs> you'll be able to really pull off, but we'll try and do it a couple of games and see how it goes. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be quite the experience overall.
0: Well, you know what, uh, some of our listeners would be concerned about what's the beer situation like in Qatar, alcohol's a, a big deal over there, but, um, I believe is Budweiser, not one of the chief sponsors of the world cup. You're going to be able to have a couple pints while you're there. What's that look like?
1: Yeah, I probably not many to be honest. I've kind of decided I'm just not really going to care about that. I <laughs> I want to have a beer after Canada wins, and so I'll, I'll set aside because I I feel like we're winning the World Cup, so I want to have nice. uh, have have beers every time they win a game. No, I mean <laughs> certainly the first time they win, I've I've kind of said okay, for sure I'm definitely having one those days. But um, yeah, it's it's gonna be like the, if you go in non World Cup times. Uh, there's about 20 different hotels that are licensed um, to to have alcohol in their restaurants so that's generally like there's some sports bars that you know a lot of expats go to within hotels and that's where they get their beers. Generally, those are like twenty to twenty five dollars each mm. and and so like that's the thing Oof. do I really want to be spending that kind of money on on a beer as much as I want a beer yeah, not really <laughs> so um beyond that you can get it inside their fan zones. Well, most of the, most of the days I'm going to be watching soccer and like fan zones are great if you're not going to the games, but if you're going to two games a day, not going to be spending much time in the fan zones. And I think you can actually within, they're going to have like a perimeter outside the set up, like a perimeter outside the stadium. And then within that part, you can buy alcohol and, and have a couple before the game. So but you
0: can't take it to your seat. Like it won't be, in no, the you can't take it. to. Your seat. No? Okay. So
1: that's where, you know, the official sponsor and Budweiser will kind of get their bang for their buck. Right. Sure. Yeah. And, and people will be drinking. I mean, we'll see what the price is, right. Yeah. Is it $8 Budweiser's highly unlikely. I mean, <laughs> a being Qatar and how expensive the alcohol is normally and B knowing what alcohol, goes for at a sporting event I'm not expecting no to uh, go to a Borussia Dortmund game and get a pint and a kebab for seven euros so <laughs> it's uh yeah I that's why I've kind of made the decision that you know what probably just not gonna have too much alcohol when I'm there I'm just gonna enjoy it drink water be hydrated and
0: you'll remember and it better that way, have a, anyway. have
1: a couple of <laughs> celebratory beers when Canada wins
0: Last thing for you then, AJ, I got to ask you because, uh, I, I want to know what, uh, I guess on Sunday we'll see the official unveiling of team Canada, but, um, you know, the guys that we're expecting to see, are we healthy? How are things looking? I've heard two over the last, uh, last several weeks. Uh, I believe Alfonso Davies was like a head injury and now it's a hamstring injury. Both of them are, yeah, he'll be fine. He'll be back. Um, what's the team looking like health wise? Are, are we going to be at full strength when we get there?
1: couple of injuries, um, you know, really unfortunate. Maxim Krapow, who was who's uh, Ottawa Fury's Goalkeeper of the Year and the USL Goalkeeper of the Year in 2018. And then he went on to Vancouver to the Whitecaps and LAFC, where, you know, he was the starting keeper in their MLS Cup victory. On the weekend against Philadelphia, and he got sent off as he was the last man trying to prevent a goal and in the tackle broke his leg. It was a pretty mm. gruesome injury, Uh hated to see that because he knew right away his World Cup dream was over. Yeah. So really feel for him. I, I think in that case, we're gonna be fine in goal because our starting keeper is Milan Borian and the guy who was the number three, uh, Dane St. Clair was an MLS All-Star this year. Hmm. And I think he's gonna be a more than capable backup. But I you know just devastated to see Max have his World Cup dream end in, in that form. So that's one loss. Uh, Another loss in central defense, Scott Kennedy. Again, not a starter, but someone that, you know, would have provided depth uh, where we don't have a ton in that position in central defense. So that's definitely a loss as well, but not one that's crippling. Uh, Losing Alfonso Davies would have been devastating.
0: Yeah, that's the whole show.
1: (laughs) And, and, you know, this team showed that they can get to the World Cup without him, but this is a different level, right? And so... I'm not saying we couldn't win the odd game without him but you know our chances go way down because you know that that's the X factor that's the factor that every every team that is going to be facing Canada is going to be devising something to stop Alfonso Davies and now that opens up things for Jonathan David for uh, for uh, Tejon Buchanan in particular as he plays on the right and Davies on the left wherever you focus your attention that Means opportunity for somebody else, and if Davies is out, all of a sudden, okay, let's focus on Tejon Buchanan. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and and now, um, the, the thing about Davies, because of his pace, you you can devise all the plans you want, but he's pretty tough to stop. And when you don't do that, and you still have options beyond that, that's what makes Canada such a dangerous team in attack, even against the best countries in the world. So. Um, we'll see. I, I don't know if he's out of the woods yet. I mean, he's been it's been stated as a hamstring strain and a mild one. Uh, he's not going to play the rest of the week for Bayern Munich, which is good. Not going to play uh, next week in their friendly against Japan. So well, like, that's This has been an
0: under, an undercovered part of this tournament, right? Is, is Qatar, obviously they don't want to play this in July and August because or June because it's going to be a thousand degrees. So you move it back a couple of months, well now it's right in the middle of the season, right? There will be multiple countries missing key guys because of injuries sustained during the season, which is kind of a bummer. Like you're not that's an extra wrinkle to this we don't normally see.
1: Yeah, and most of the players are still gonna be good. Um I, I think a little bit of that's been overblown, to be yeah, honest. Okay. I think I think there's been pushback. I think people are piling on. Right. Um and, and that's the thing there there should absolutely be scrutiny about everything that happened in this tournament. Um, fr- from the awarding of the tournament to Qatar to, you know, s- switching the, the time of year to November and December. But I mean, one of the things i will say to that is, look, if K- Qatar didn't have, and and I'll say this, if Qatar could have had the best human rights record in the history of, of the planet, and there still would have been a lot of people complaining about the fact that it went there mm-hmm. because of the fact that it changed the time of year and all like that, all that. And, and the way I look at that part of it, right? Which you have to keep separate from the other part of it, which is, okay, should a country like this get in in the first place? But, which absolutely legit questions. Sure. But the other part is, okay, that's their climate. You know mm-hmm. what? If, if you have to change to a different part of the year, so be it. You should be able to make it work. Because in the end, it's still a month-long tournament in the middle of your year. One happens in the summer, one happens in the winter. A lot of what's happened is because COVID. We're playing catch up from COVID, yes, right? Yeah. Like Canada had to play a ridiculous amount of games to make up for the fact that they didn't have qualifiers for the longest time. And so they're making up all these games. They're they're fitting Europe's still fitting in their games. And yeah, I mean it's is it too much? Yeah, it's too much. Um it should be should we have played fit games 15 days before? Well, I'll say this. Last World Cup, they were playing games 19 days before. So it's really not that much difference. Now, they're playing games 6, 7, and 8 days before. So should teams be playing this weekend? No, they shouldn't. Uh, I, I would agree with that. But, you know, a lot of a lot of the complaints are just piling on, in my opinion. And, and people just saying, oh, this isn't going to mean... Oh, what do you mean it's not going to mean anything as a World Cup? That's a bunch of BS. K okay, Pogba's out, and a couple of other players are out. For the most part, all the best players are going to be there. Lewandowski's going to be there. De Bruyne is going to be there. Madras just going to be there. Um, Messi and Ronaldo and Davies, and all these players are going to be there. And so, like, it's just, there's a lot of whining. Some of it is justified, and, and, and certainly there's too many fixtures for the players. I get that. But, but to blame it all on the World Cup, a lot of the blame goes internally. And so... I, I don't know. To me, a lot of it is piling on. Um, bottom line for me is, hopefully Davies is good to go on the 23rd. We'll see. I mean, you know, he's he's still got a couple of weeks left before Canada plays their first game. I mean, we're 16 days away right now. So, um, injury happened on the weekend. Uh, I mean, it makes me nervous, for sure. sure. Yeah. But, you know, the fact that they said, okay, he's going to be fit for the World Cup, well, that's, that's encouraging to me. And Man, I, I really hope he's he's starting that game against Belgium because there's no doubt it, we, we're. I think we've got a chance to get out of the group. Would I bet money on it? If you know that was the last dollar I had, I wouldn't. I'd probably bet on Belgium and Croatia, but I think we have a legit chance to get out of the group. I'd say, okay, forty sixty. I think we'll get out of the group, hmm. which maybe is higher than a lot of other people would say. It's certainly are higher than the odds makers say, but yeah. I think we're a team that's built to actually go and score goals against anybody, which which is exciting to me. But that's all contingent on our we can suffer a few injuries. We can suffer a few Scott Kennedys and, and Maxim uh pose as much as I, I feel for both of those individuals and in particular Max, who I got to know a little bit when he was in Ottawa. But we we can't lose Tayshon Buchanan or Alfonso Davies or Jonathan David or Stephen you like those are guys that are just absolutely crucial to be in the lineup every single day that we're playing. So um, hopefully everything's going to be a goal for Alfonso because he's just he's a treat to watch and and his joy for the game, his joy for his teammates, his joy for life is just infectious and. Such a great story in terms of his background and where he came from, a refugee, um, you know, that that just loves this country and couldn't ask for a better representative, uh, you know, an ambassador for our country is like he is our, whether you're a hockey person, football person, baseball, you might not like soccer. But he is our most recognizable athlete yeah. right now. Yeah. And it's not even close. I around think people world- have a
0: hard time understanding that. Like for a long time it might have been GSP, right? Like the the things that are big around the world don't always register as the biggest here, but it's unquestionable right now. Alfonso Davies is the biggest sports star in the world. Um from Canada.
1: Yeah. And and the thing I love is I think he represents what you want in terms of those values, in terms of how he conducts himself. So I want this to be Look, if you're a soccer fan, you know who Alfonso Davies is because he plays at one of the biggest clubs in the world. He's won everything imaginable in the sport already when it comes to club soccer. They won six titles in one year at Bayern Munich, um, <laughs> including the Champions League. And so, yeah, he's won everything you can win in club football. But, you know, th- this is where you truly make your name. And, and I think he could put himself in a different stratosphere if he helps League Canada to a couple of upsets and, and, and out of the group stage. And who knows what, what the knockout round might look like.
0: Well, and I've said a few times on this show that I, I, I know nothing of soccer strategy. I'm not an expert. I'm not whatever, but this team, uh, it swept me in like it did with so many other people along the road. And, 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 you know, I, I, I've compared it before to watching, I watched this team like I watched hockey as a kid. I'm excited. I know who I'm cheering for. I'm not breaking it down. I'm not second guessing substitutions. Like I don't know enough to have that, but it's almost a more fun watch that way, right? You're less skeptical. You're more just go my team. And, and, and that's been really fun to re-engage in something that way. And you're right. He, his engagement, he's been right out in front of it. Even in the games, he, he was injured and didn't play. He's interacting online and recording himself on video. It's been so much fun to watch and I'm incredibly excited for this world cup. And I, I don't know if I've ever said that before. As a sports guy, I know the World Cups on. I check out a couple of the big matches and then I kind of yeah, it drags on a bit and I kind of tune back out. But having Canada in this after watching this much, I'm I'm pumped and if I I'm I'm a little bit envious of you going to check this out. Do You have a handle through social media or whatever on how many Canadians are going?
1: Uh, great question. I don't. Yeah. So, yeah, I know that's one of those things that you'll kind of figure out when you get on the ground. But, yeah, I mean, I I don't think there's any doubt based on what I've seen and the interest level um, that, you know, we'll see a pretty good contingent of Canada fans there. But I haven't seen any kind of official number yet in terms of what Canada is going to have.
0: Well, you're off to uh, to Europe on Thursday and then on to Qatar. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you making some time for me here on uh, your last week at home before you take off. And when you get back, I want to hear all about this. We'll get you in. You won't have had enough pints while you were traveling. We'll get you one here and you can tell us all about how this went.
1: <laughs> Sounds good. Look forward to it.
0: That's uh, AJ Jackieback from TSN Radio, of course, the voice of Atlético Ottawa, of uh, the Ottawa Red Blacks, uh, longtime friend of TCA. Thanks so much, AJ. Anytime, Matt. All right, that was uh, great. Really appreciate AJ making the time for us, as always, uh, always willing to give us uh, the time of day. Sounds like it's going to be an awesome trip. Uh, I'm fascinated uh, when he gets back to hear about how that went and, uh, and of course, debrief on how Canada did. So uh, look forward to that as the World Cup kicks off in, uh, I don't know, just a couple of weeks now. So uh, it's coming up on us really fast. Uh, we'll get out of here, I suppose. Don't forget, Rob returns on Sunday, so that'll be good. He'll be back in the uh, in the TCA studio. Give us a follow on social media at Tall Can Audio. Make sure to uh, leave us a rating and a review if you haven't done that yet. Really helps us out, and it, uh, it only takes a sec. You got time? Go ahead. But uh, with that said, uh, we will uh, we'll get out of here. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Tall Can Audio podcast. My name is Matt Robinson, and we will see you all next time.
1: How was that? Number one bullshit. Oh, number one bullshit. Why
0: are you so pissy?